to hear you guys worship the Lord. Uh, thank you, man. You have to remind me what time it is, or are you recording? Oh, all right, that's exciting. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, uh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a word uh, in hand kind of guy. If you're a phone guy or gal, uh, I just want to encourage you to pick up the written word because it's in the written word where you can. Uh, underline, highlight, and flip pages, and uh, really get familiar with the books of the Bible. And so, uh, I would that you would uh, use your paper. That's just how I am. So, uh, hopefully, you're that kind of person too. I like that. Uh, turning your Bibles, if you would, though, to Proverbs chapter 19, and we're going to have a theme. We'll have our theme verse uh, pulling out from Proverbs 19. I'm a Proverbs guy as well. There are 31 days. <coughs> In uh, many months, there are 30 days in at least 11 months, and there's 28 days in at least all of the months. Uh, so, that was funny, by the way. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I read a chapter of Proverbs most days of the week, and I would just encourage you to do the same, where you could start December 1 with Proverbs 1, December 2, Proverbs 2, and all the way through the end. So, uh, I've been doing that for about 30 years. And uh, the wisest man, other than Jesus, who walked on the face of the earth, was a guy by the name of Solomon. God gave Solomon wisdom. God actually asked Solomon uh, anything he wanted, God would give him as the king over Israel. And Solomon could have asked for wealth, he could have asked for power, uh, but he asked for wisdom. And so God gave him wisdom and wealth and power as a result. So... Uh, he wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs, and so there's some uh, really good things here. But before I get here, uh, tonight I know uh, you guys have been, or you've started a series on uh, giving and being fruitful in the area of stewardship. And so I think you guys have already talked on tithing. Okay, good. And uh, just an affirmation of tithing, uh, the Word of God uh, I don't know if you covered this, Matt, but some people say, well, tithing was the Old Testament. That's the law. But I want you to know that tithing was over 400 years before the law. Did you cover that? Okay. And tithing supersedes the law. In other words, it transitions all the way. Here's the interesting thing about the law, though. So I always say to people, uh, if, if you're, oh, well, tithing was the law, and we, don't, we no longer are under the law. I say, praise God. Amen? I mean, we're not under the law anymore. But here's the interesting thing that Jesus said in reference to the law. He said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, you have already committed murder. So he makes the law on the spiritual side even more he said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. <coughs> he said, but I say to you, if you look at a woman or a man, to you gals, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her or him already, taking the law and making it more. And so I say, you have heard that it was said, tithing. But Jesus would say to us, more. So if you're, uh, hey, that was the law, and we're not under law, good, because it means you're probably going to do more than tithing. 
that make sense? Tricky, tricky, tricky. Right? I like that. Anyway, okay, so it's good. Anyway, uh, so I've been in Oregon for about 30 years. Uh, prior to being in Oregon, I grew up my years in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, you probably can't tell that I was once kind of a, a beach cat. I was a surfer. I was a body surfer. I was a boogie boarder. And, uh, and then before Huntington Beach, I was in New Jersey. And uh, so I was born in Jersey, and my family moved to Southern California, and uh, then I moved up here. When I moved up here, I had known the Lord for about one year. So when I got saved, I was almost 20, and uh, started going to church uh, right when I got saved. And it was a radical conversion. I was a very bad dude, so I won't go into my detail on that. I was a bad, I was, I was bad to the bone. Uh, I was a bad guy. And I got saved. It was a radical deal. And I went to church that very first Sunday, and I found out they had service that night. So I went to church that night, then Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. So I started going to church every night of the week. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and by week two, I had already shared my faith with probably every person I knew. So, and I went to a high school uh, where there was over 4,000 kids, and uh, I, was, I was one of those, I don't know, I mean, was I popular? Look at me. <laughs> Could this be popular? Probably not. But I was a popular guy. I played football. I was, you know, successful. And uh, so I was in the right crowd, et cetera, et cetera. So I used to be the guy who everybody called for the guys in the group. I was the guy at all the parties who, if like a disagreement started between a couple of guys and there was going to be a fight. They always just came and got me because I boxed. And so I just beat people up and it was really bad. But uh, so I, had a, I, I, was a, I was a renowned guy. And uh, so I had all these friends and everybody used to call me, hey, we're going out Friday night, we're going out Saturday night, blah, blah. I get saved. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing all the things that I was doing. I stopped beating people up. And, uh, and the phone stopped ringing. Because I told everybody that I was now following Jesus. In fact, I started inviting them all to church, right? And so uh, they didn't want to have much to do with me. So I went to church every other week and uh, became a student of the Word of God. And by week two, I had shared my faith not only with all the people that I knew, but I started sharing my faith with people I didn't know. And I started seeing people give their hearts to Jesus. And that's an amazing deal. That's an amazing thing. I remember three weeks into being a follower of Christ, I led my first person to Jesus. I didn't even know how to do it. But I, I, I remember hearing a guy say, you know, pray this prayer. And so I figured that was the recipe, pray this prayer. And so guys confessing their sin and uh, giving their hearts to Jesus. So I come to Oregon, <clears throat> and I came on a, a football scholarship. And, the, and the, I came in on a recruiting trip. And the day I came in on a recruiting trip, there was an ice storm in Portland. Now, how many of you love when, the, when we get sleet? I mean, the other, like about two weeks ago, when they were threatening snow, how many of you were hoping that it was going to snow? You were like, dude, I would dig if we had snow. Raise your hands, because i got to know you, you like snow. Some of you are like, yeah, I didn't want snow. How many of you like when it's icy, you're storming, you're stuck inside? I mean, there was ice everywhere. And I'm riding in from the, uh, I'm Huntington Beach, California, okay, in the wintertime. It does cool down there, but you can still, I mean, you can actually go to the beach, and you can surf, I mean, year-round. And so I come to Oregon, and the day I come to Oregon, they're having an ice storm. I'm like, are you joking me? Well, that trip in, in the uh, taxi cab, uh, I see two homeless guys fighting on the streets of Portland. 
and they were fighting over a bag with a bottle in it. And I will tell you as plain as day that God spoke to my heart at that point, and I heard the voice of God say, you will work with the homeless. And so, when I made my decision to come to Portland State and I played football, immediately I got involved on the streets of Portland. I would go downtown <coughs> and I would preach in the park blocks. I'd go down to Pioneer Courthouse Square. You know where the Starbucks is in Pioneer Courthouse Square? And there's like that little amphitheater area that comes out and you're looking over the whole court. I'd stand up there and I'd just preach to anybody who was there. It was great. I mean, the statue guy with the guy with the umbrella, he's gotten saved like about 30 times. It was awesome. Because <laughs> he keeps raising his hand, he's going like this. I'm like, all right, hey, I see that. Hey. <laughs> so there's always at least one. <laughs> all right. Uh, so uh, it was just an amazing deal. Well, anyway, uh, so uh, I, I met my wife. Uh, we met in church. It's a great place to meet people uh, of, uh, of the future uh, prospect, to all of you who are future prospects. Uh, and uh, we, we met in Bible study, our young adult group just like this, and uh, we, uh, our dates, I'm just giving you a little bit of information, it's going to have something to do with giving, I'm going to get there. Okay. So our dates, we went out every Monday night, and every Monday night, um, <laughs> sometimes I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, uh, but we would go on dates, and our date was we'd go pray. And so I just had a heart for the city, so we'd drive up on the hill overlooking the city, and we would just pray. And sometimes we would pray for a couple of hours. We had no idea what this probably looked like from the outside. But, you know, when it's cold outside and the temperature on the inside is a little warmer, you start to get, you know, moisture running down the sides of the windows. Yeah, well, we were up there praying, and we'd open up our eyes, and we had no idea what it really would have looked like from the outside or what her parents might have thought. Yeah, we were up on the side of the mountain just praying, and, you know, we were in the car together for two hours, and all the windows are steamy. <laughs> so people walking by were probably thinking, well, we know what's going on in that Ford Pinto, but they didn't know what was going on in that Ford Pinto because we were praying, and we saw miracles. We saw God do miracles. I remember one night we were praying for this gal, Lori Boyle, who had uh, broken her ankle, and her ankle had swollen up like a balloon. And so she had it all wrapped, and uh, she didn't have a cast on yet. And while we were praying, legitimately, Lori called Kim's mom and said the bandage unraveled because her swelling went down. Now, she ended up wearing a cast for a little while, but it was it was one of those moments where we just thought, we were just praying, God, let the swelling go down. Couldn't we didn't know we broke it at that point? But she said she called, and you know it was like the bandage unraveled because the swelling had uh, gone down. We thought, wow, that was a that was a miracle of God, and we saw many other things. So all I have to say, Kim and I ended up getting married, uh, and uh, we still go on dates every Tuesday night. In fact, now it's Tuesday night, and tonight, right after uh, I'm here, my wife and I are going on a date. So it's exciting, uh, and and I'm going to look like this on our date. She allows me to look like this, which is really good. Uh, so. I had a heart for this city, and my wife had a heart for the city, and so we were working with the homeless. And I, I would go down, uh, we got married, and uh, so for three years I was doing ministry on the streets of Portland in many different ways. We got married, and we moved a little bit further out. I lived downtown for a while, and uh, in fact, I have lots of stories I can tell you about that. But uh, we, we moved out a little bit towards Gresham. And my heart was still for the city. And so I would go down every Saturday morning. Every Saturday I would go to the grocery store and I would buy a loaf of bread. And I would buy a package of cotto salami and some cheese. 
and I'd get a rack of bananas, and I'd get some chips, and I'd make these meals, and uh, I would make every loaf of bread makes 11 meals, or 11 sandwiches, because there's 22 pieces of bread in there, and uh, make the sandwiches, and I would put them in brown paper bags, and I'd go down Saturdays, and I'd feed you know the homeless, and then my buddy Greg started doing it with me, so we'd end up with 22 to 25. Sometimes we'd do two loaves, so we'd have you know, 44 meals, <coughs> and we'd just go feed the homeless and loving on people and sharing Jesus. So we didn't, it was no holes barred. We'd say, hey, can I give you a meal in the name of Jesus? And people say, yeah, can I, I'll take that meal, you know. So we hand the meal and we say, hey, we'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. Can we pray for you? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord? And then we would say, there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby man must be saved other than Jesus. You must have your sin forgiven by Jesus. And people would give their hearts to Jesus. And we were unashamed. And to this day, I mean, I'm unashamed. I'll, I'll talk to everybody about Jesus. So we started going down... In addition to Saturday mornings, we decided, hey, this evangelism thing is really epic. We like this. And I began to be um, more aware of some of the sin issues that were down on the streets of Portland. So we would go. We'd start at Pioneer Courthouse Square on Tuesday nights also, and then on Thursday nights. So we'd start going down on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And I would start out in Pioneer Courthouse Square, and we would pray. I remember one night we were praying down in Pioneer Courthouse Square. We just got there. No kidding. Park the car. We'd get there. Got, got out. Got our Bibles. And uh, we're standing, you know the, you know the uh, down below where the amphitheater and Starbucks is, there's that, that circle <coughs> where if you stand in the middle of the circle and you face the seats, you talk and it echoes right back to you and you can hear it in stereo. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever done that before? That's a cool place. Okay, so we're right there. We're praying. So we're standing right over that little circle and we're just praying. Two guys holding hands in the city of Portland. <laughs> that could have been weird. Anyway, uh, so we pray. And while we're praying, we ask God, send someone to us who needs Jesus. Send someone to us who needs Jesus. We stop praying. There's a black man and his girlfriend. They said, what are you guys doing? We said, well, we're praying. Well, what are you praying for? We're praying for someone to come who needs Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? We need Jesus, don't we? And we're like, what? (laughs) So we share the gospel with these guys and they give their hearts to the Lord right there. I mean, boom. So we make our way down to uh, 3rd and Taylor, where there used to be two adult bookstores. There was one right on the corner of 3rd and Taylor, and then one uh, kitty corner across from it called Video Follies. And so we would stand in front. There was two doors on this adult bookstore, uh, this main one. I mean, guys going in. I mean, legitimately, hundreds of men a night. And so we stand in front of the doors. So imagine this is the door right here. And I'm standing there with my Bible like this. And here comes a guy walking this way. So I stand right here. So he can't get between me. So I say, hey, man, bro, God has a plan for your life. He's got something. And as he's walking by trying to get in, I just keep going with him. Like this, you know? and, sorry about that guitar. Anyway, uh, I walk by. And so he couldn't get in that door. So he'd go around the corner thinking he was going to get in the door around the corner. And Greg would say, hey, bro, God's got a plan for you. He just, the guy would just, and he would walk around, the, you know, he'd go around the block a couple times. And uh, anyway, we would just share the love of God. This one night, guy comes up. And he's got a pair of pants on, but no shirt. And he says, I don't want to go to the bookstore. I said, all right. Good. I said, well, you know, I started talking to him about Jesus. He says, you know what? That's all good. He said, but what I really need is a shirt. Can I have your shirt? Now, I have my favorite T-shirt on. I think it was my Ron John Surf T-shirt, Surf Shop from uh, Florida. And uh, I'm like... I always wear an undershirt. 
over my T-shirt. My kids know. Or over my, I wear an undershirt over my shirt. No. I wear an undershirt. I wear a T-shirt, uh, a white T-shirt under my <coughs> other T-shirt. Like right now I have a gray T-shirt on and then I have my white T-shirt on. So I always have that, right? So immediately, I know what God's saying to me. I know what he's saying to me. Talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. So here I am. I'm like, yeah, bro. You have a t-shirt. You have my shirt. And so I get this image in my mind. I'm on 3rd and Taylor in downtown Portland. And uh, back in the day, I actually had a physique. I mean, I had a 55-inch chest. And I had some big arms. And, uh, but by the time I got married, I was a little bit smaller. But I was a little bit more stealth than I am right now. I mean, right now i got furniture's disease. My chest has gone to my drawers and it's ugly. But, uh, <laughs> so here I am, and I've taken my shirt off in front of the adult bookstore. <laughs> but I wasn't going to give him my Ron John Surf Shop. So I put that one down. I, hand, I think I handed it to Greg. And I pulled my T-shirt off. Now there's two men standing out in front of the adult bookstore <laughs> on Third and Taylor. We're just like, and all these cars are driving by. Nee, me, 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 me. You know, I'm like, what's up? You know, and so I put my white shoes back on. I get the guy, or I put my Ron John shirt back on, and I gave him this T-shirt. And uh, you know, he went on his way. I don't remember him receiving Jesus, but what he received was he received what I had, and he received the love of God through something very tangible. And uh, Proverbs 19 says this, in verse 17, and uh, underline it in the Bible if you would. It says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will pay back what he, the person who has lent or has had pity on uh, the poor, he will pay back what he has given. This was the motivator for me from the onset. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. Tell me something in your life. When is an opportunity for you to lend to God? Right? Does God need anything you have? No. He does not need anything. But he'll let you lend it to him. And that's cool. And we have an opportunity to do that through giving. And it's giving what we have already. And it's giving out of our possessions to those that are in need. So alms at Hillside, we believe in biblical giving. I believe that there are at least three biblical ways of giving. The first is tithing. That is the first 10% of your increase. I help people make this understanding and correlation clear. If a person makes a thousand bucks a month, your tithe is a hundred bucks. They say, well, do I tithe on the gross or do I tithe on the net? I say, how big of a blessing do you want to receive from the Lord? I go on the big. Hey, if I make a hundred bucks or I make a thousand bucks, I give a hundred. If I make two thousand, I give two hundred. If I make ten thousand, I give a thousand. I mean, it's just simple math. Right? The, the Word of God is not complicated, so we, we, we keep it simple. And I would suggest <coughs> that you begin to practice this now. My wife and I have been tithers since we've been married. I tithed before then, uh, probably not, I would say I probably wasn't super consistent because I wasn't making any money. I was, a, I was a college student and I was on a scholarship, but I gave 
I gave what I had. But when we got married, we purposed from the very get-go, we were tithers. We were tithers, and we have tithed now for over 27 years. And God has always, always blessed. And we have given well above and beyond the tithe. And how we give is we give the second way, what I would call alms. Alms, A-L-M-S, <coughs> alms is giving to those that are in need. Does that make sense? Uh, you might remember a story <coughs> in uh, Acts chapter 2. I think it's Acts 2. Maybe it's Acts 3. It's in Acts. Uh, we used to sing the kids' song when, I, when my children were little. Uh, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and turned out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Anyway, I, there's a tune that goes with it. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. Anyway, uh, the idea of the man was set at Gate Beautiful and asking for alms. He couldn't work. And so he needed handouts for his sustenance and his life. And so people would come by and give alms. And so uh, why don't we do this? Let's, let's talk about... I, I told all those stories uh, for several reasons because, uh, number one, I didn't have much. And when I didn't have anything, what I gave was Jesus. I gave away Jesus. And I want to encourage you, even in your want, when you have little, you're at a, a stage in your life right now where you probably have the least that you will ever have, but you're at the place in your life where you're preparing to become the most productive that you will ever be in your life. Believe me, by the time I was 30 years old, my goal, this was my goal. This is going to sound like a cheesy goal probably to you guys. But my goal was by the time I was 30 years old to be making $30,000 a year. Ooh, $30,000 a year. I thought that was going to be awesome. And uh, I graduated from Portland State. And uh, I remember my brother told me he graduated from Gonzaga as an engineer. And I got my first job, and I was making $19,000 a year. $19,000 a year. That was a mint 30 years ago. That was a lot of money. And uh, now kids, you know, I mean, if you're making $10 an hour, you're almost making that. I mean, you're making even more than that. <laughs> There's 2,080 hours in a given year. You're making $20,800 if you make 10 bucks an hour. So I was making less than what minimum wage is today. But it was a lot of money to me. Then my brother told me that his first job, he made $28,000 a year. I'm like, I should have been an engineer, man. <laughs> anyway, he was making a lot of money. So my goal, by the, age I was, by the time I was 30, was to be making a lot of money. And uh, what I thought was a lot of money, well, I, who knew that God was going to call me into the ministry by the time I was 30 years old? And uh, all that to say, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Where was I going with that? Do you remember where I was going with that? Oh, giving, I didn't have very much. So I didn't have very much, and so I gave what I had. I had Jesus, and that's the greatest treasure I could give. So I gave people Jesus, and to this day I'm giving that uh, treasure to people still. Uh, so, here's what I want to do. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will, real quickly to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. Just like, Matt, just like Jesus affirmed the tithe, and you know that Jesus affirmed the tithe, don't you? He said to the Pharisees, you tithe of the mint and the cumin. He says in Luke, you tithe of the mint and the rue. And he says, you should do those things, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, love, justice, etc., etc. Um, okay. He said you should do the latter and not neglecting the former, affirming the tithe. Okay, 
he also says, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let's look at... Where do I want to be in Matthew chapter 6? Let's read verses 1 through 4. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Take heed that you do not do your alms, or charitable deeds, before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed or an alm, do not sound a trumpet before, uh, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets, that they may have their glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed or an alm, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. Okay, so charitable deeds. Doing things secretly. How many of you have ever driven by the sign over off of uh, uh, I-205, right as you're going into, high, right where Highway 213 is, going up to Clackamas Community College, and there's a big sign, the lotto sign, and it says, you know, on the one side it says, you know, uh, $67 million in this organ lotto, and then this one over here is the, you know, mega, mega lotto, and it's $181 million, blah, blah, blah. And you thought to yourself, man, if I had that kind of cash, I would love to, like, secretly do things to where no one would know it was me and give money and, you know, pay someone's mortgage off. Or do Anybody thought that way before? Have you thought that way? Yeah. yeah. Uh, isn't, isn't it funny? You think... No one would know it was me. Someone you know. Like for me, I know a lot of people who have mortgages, right? And if all of a sudden they went to make their mortgage payment and they didn't have a mortgage anymore, and they knew me, and they knew I won the lottery, who else did they think it's going to... I mean, who else would do that, right? I mean, yeah, the guy who just won the mega bucks is probably the guy who paid off my mortgage, right? Anyway, uh, but the idea here is to do things in secret when no one else is going to know about it. And there's an interesting thing, too. Uh, Jesus, later in another story, in another parable, he says, when you do good things to people, don't expect anything in return. In fact, so much so, he says, when you lend, don't expect to receive that which you lend back. In other words, just give it away. <coughs> and so, when you have someone over for dinner, he said, don't expect them to reciprocate and now invite you over to dinner or have the attitude like, hey, man, you owe me. You owe me. And so the encouragement here is to be benevolent, to be charitable. Here's the cool thing. That's exactly how God is. God is charitable. God is generous. Have you ever considered God's character in giving? To just be a little bit like God would be to be giving. What's the most well-known verse in all the world? John 3.16. I mean, any football game you watch, someone's holding a John 3.16 sign. Any athletic endeavor, most of the time you'll see someone holding a John 3.16. I mean, everybody almost knows what John 3.16 is. For God so loved the world that he gave. gave. 
gave. And here's the interesting thing. He gave his only begotten Son. So God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, up in the annals of heaven in eternity before the universe was created, they came up with a plan to give themselves away. So they were going to create man, give themselves away, but man was going to have a problem called sin because Adam, you know, he blew it in the garden, the Adam bomb, and he blows it in the garden, and all men are sinners as a result. So God, before the foundation of the world, he said, our plan will be, Jesus, you will become man, and you will die, and a substitutionary death for them, shedding your blood so that they can have remission of sin. And so it was God's plan from the very beginning to give himself away fully. So he, he couldn't give anything better. Imagine, imagine them sitting up in heaven. They're like, now what could we give? What would be the best thing they could give? There's nothing better than God. He gives himself away so that he can give himself away. Give us himself. Okay, anyway, so here we have this benevolent God. And he gives us above and beyond all those things, his blessings, etc., etc., etc. So we have this charitable God. And so he's just encouraging us and giving us the opportunity to follow in his footsteps and to be charitable and not hoard it for ourselves. Anybody know what it's like to not want to give things away? All right? I mean, remember the last time you had a large McDonald's french fry and you were in a car with three other people and you're the only one with a large McDonald's french fry? Everyone's like going, you going to eat all those? <laughs> you're like, yep. I don't want to share. I mean, it's like, uh, how many of you know the Kit Kat song? Anybody know the Kit Kat song? Okay, the person singing that song doesn't have the Kit Kat, does he? <laughs> Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar, right? I never will. I, if I'm going to eat a Kit Kat bar, I'm going to eat it by myself because I want all the pieces, right? If I'm with someone, I'm like, okay, here you go. Here you go. Break me you gotta, you got to share the thing, right? Anyway, we, we do this. We want to hold on to our stuff. Right? And God's saying, no, give what you have. Give what you have. Be like me. Give what you have. Give out, give out from what's on the inside, so to speak. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at a couple of examples. And I don't know what time it is. I, what time do you guys want to finish here? Uh, what time is it right now? Oh, 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 I got all kinds of time. Praise God, another hour and a half. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. Uh, turn, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke. Luke, 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 Luke 11. Mm, do I want me in Luke 11? Yeah, let's read Luke 11. Uh, it's just an interesting story. Luke 11, chap uh, chapter 11, verse 37. So uh, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Uh, the title in the Bible is, Woe to the Pharisees and the Lawyers. That's not like a very good lead-in, right? Uh, whoa, you're in trouble. Here we go. It says this, As he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with them. So he, Jesus, went and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Oh, guy goes, Hey, Jesus, why don't you come and have dinner with me? And Jesus goes, All right, cool, thanks, man. And the guy looks and he's like, and so we're talking we're talking a rabbi who's just sat down he's a marvel of a teacher and the, and he says yes 
And this guy's like, all right, well, everybody else at the table washed their hands. Uh, did you notice Jesus didn't wash his hands? What's up with that? So he's kind of got his head in the wrong place. Verse 39 says, Then the Lord said to him, Nay, you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and the dish clean. But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. So Jesus capitalizes on it, knowing how the guy's thinking. He's thinking about Jesus not washing his hands because it's an outward thing, making it right for men's sake. And Jesus says this, he says, you, you clean the cup and the dish on the outside, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and the rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, not leaving the others undone. And so, again, he's talking about some realities, and he's talking about giving, and he's talking about this idea of being more benevolent, being more like God, not worrying about the outside of the cup, but what's going on on the inside. And if there's greed, if there's covetousness, if it's all about me, 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 perspective is out of whack. And Jesus is saying, man, you want to dress up and get it all looking good on the outside, but you neglect the inside, and the inside is way more important. And so we've got to get that right. And the way God gives us the opportunity to get it right is to give it away. Is to give it away. Does that make sense? If I give it away, then I'm not loving it more than I might be loving people. And loving people is going to be always more important than the love of things. Okay, well, let's look at that a little bit more in detail. Turn the page, if you will, to the left, and let's get to Luke chapter 12. All right, so Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, says this. Uh, then one from the crowd said to him, this is, this is kind of the same scenario, right? They're all in the same time frame, and they're here, and uh, he, he's now talking to all these guys. And so someone in the crowd says uh, to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so you, you need to understand that their culture, when a mom and a dad passed away, uh, the, the blessing or the inheritance came to the oldest son and he got a double portion of whatever mom and dad had and then the rest was just given to the other brothers and sisters and divided amongst them. So he got a, like a mega amount and they got like minor amounts. And so the next brother in line's like, that sucks, man. I should have been number one. I mean, it would have been really interesting if they were twins. And just the one who came out three minutes before, he's getting this mega amount. And the other dude's like, I was trying to get out, but he was in my way. Right? And so here's a, he's complaining. And Jesus, Jesus says, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. For Listen to this. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You know, the worldly saying, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. 
he who dies with the most toys still dies. And you can't take your toys with you. And so life does not consist in the possessions of the things or the the things that we possess. And so the word of God is true. And so if we're amassing for ourselves, there is a heart issue. So let's go on a little further. Verse 16, chapter 12. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So here's this wealthy guy. He's got a barn over here that's so big, you know, yaya size, however big it is. And he's got maybe this, you know, blow-up tent that he puts over here so when the hay comes in and the alfalfa comes in, he's got a place to put it. But this particular year, it yielded plentiful. And he's like, geez, what am I going to do? I got all this stuff. I got no place to put it. He thinks, you know that barn? That thing is so old, man. I think there's termites in there, too. He starts creating all the reasons why. I mean, you know... That thing just needs to come down. Honey, get the bulldozer, you know, and then the bull named Dozer comes over, you know, and he starts knocking it in. Because they didn't actually have bulldozers back then. They just had a bull named Dozer. And he came over. <laughs> What's that? So they just have blow-up tents? Well, it was, <laughs> they had kids. They were, oh, oh. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> bulldoze this thing down. He goes, I'm going to build a bigger one. And he draws these plants. He throws up a blueprint on the big screen. He says, honey, look at this. See how big that guy is up there? He's like, look how big that guy is. Boom. And he gets it up there. And he goes and he builds a bigger barn. And he gets a bigger blow-up tent, like Velcro, back in the day. And they made you know, quad, quad the thing out. And he goes and he does this. And he says, so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store up my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many, good, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he's like, I build the bigger barn, get the bigger book, tent, put it all in there, and just look and go, ah, man, I got food for years. Years. I mean, they stored grain, and so they could make bread till the cows came home. And then they could have milk and bread, right? And so anyway, they just think, this is great. And God says, fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Not rich toward God. Not rich toward God. So I come back to that first question again. How can I be rich toward God? How can I? God doesn't need anything I have, but he says, yes. But if you have pity on the poor, you're lending to me, and that's being rich toward me. Have pity on the poor. Give. Give. Give out of what you have. And that's alms. That's alms. So, I would encourage you, in those three biblical areas, tithing, alms, and the last would be missions, or uh, what's called the offering, and I know you guys are going to talk about that at another time. So, those things being said, everybody get that. Yeah. Give to those who are in need, 
out of what you have. It could be the simplicity. I, I remember uh, downtown, I was walking, and I saw a homeless guy. Me and my buddy Steve were walking. This is a different guy. Uh, Greg wasn't with me this night. Steve and I were walking. And this homeless guy was walking up, and he was like, get a, doing one of these. He says, could you spare some change? And I'm like, this guy wants to go buy some more booze. I mean, you could smell it on him. So Steve and I simultaneously quoted that Acts 3, silver and gold have I none. I mean, I even reached into my pockets and pulled my pockets out. I got no money. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have you, I think, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we shared the gospel. And we said, do you believe? And he says, I believe. I said, do you really believe? I believe. And so we prayed right there. I was like, this guy's born again. And I really didn't have any money that night. Then I watched. And as he was walking away, Steve's like, the guy's going to be in heaven, man. The angels are rejoicing. I'm like, did he really get saved? And then all this doubt started coming to mind. You ever get doubt? Yeah, I get doubt sometimes. Like, man, this guy. So I said, let's follow him. <laughs> so we're like, you know, walking. And he's kind of still doing his thing. But he, he kind of sobered up. It was really kind of a cool deal. And like, he looks back here and we're like, <laughs> And then he starts walking. You know, and he goes around the corner. So here we are, peeking around the corner like this, right? And there was this couple, we saw a couple way far away, walking toward it. And he's walking up the street now. This is like, uh, you know where Nordstrom's is, right on Broadway? So you know where that brick wall and the, you know, you can start going west if you go up on whatever street that is right there, where Nordstrom and uh, the Starbucks would be across the street. And so I'm, you know, looking around the corner, you know, the guy in Nordstrom's like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's a uh, security guy. Anyway, uh, so we're looking up the street. Here's this couple walking toward And by the time they get to each other, I'm like, Mr. Skeptic, oh, no. He's just asking those guys for more money. Steve's all, no way, man. He's telling them about Jesus. And I'm like, no, he's not. Come on, Steve. Really? You think so? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I said, no. Look, look, you can just kind of tell by his body posture. So they navigated around him. It took him about a minute or two to get to us. And we said, hey, man, what did that guy, t what did that guy ask for? He go, well, he didn't ask for anything. He told us about Jesus. I'm like, what? No way. And he goes, and they go, yeah, we were Christians, so we, like, prayed for him. He said he just received Jesus. I'm like, yeah, he did. Man, anyway, uh, so give what you have. Give. And when you have, and someone asks, don't, don't, don't not give when it's in your power to give. That's what the Bible says. Don't hold back when it's in your power to give. Remember, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will repay what he has lent. Right. You cannot outgive God. How many of you have heard that saying before? You can't outgive God. It comes from Proverbs 19 and verse 17. That's where it comes from. And you can't, God always gives, and he gives with interest. He just does. So, those things aside. Now, I want to talk about, I don't know how much time I have, but... I'm going to talk about one more thing.
in relationship to money. Turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. You've probably heard that it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many of you have heard that? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sometimes we translate that into, money is the root of evil. But you need to understand it's the love of money that is the root of many kinds of evil. Okay. And having possessions is not a bad thing. There are very many godly people who have had very many possessions. For crying out loud, Solomon was one of them. He was, there has not been a more wealthy person to live than Solomon. I mean, this guy, he had a whole lot of stuff. But I will tell you, his whole lot of stuff got him into trouble. Because he lost sight of what was important. Yeah. So having possessions is not a sin, but having possessions can lead you into sin if you're not careful and keep things in their proper perspective, right? But there are those who are, there are those who don't know the Lord, uh, who amass wealth, and they do wrong things with their wealth. In fact, I would say this to the believers. Say, having possessions is not a wrong thing, provided I would encourage people being biblical in their money, in their stewardship. So, tithe, alms, and offering, uh, giving for the furtherance of the gospel. And those things are very, very good. Now, If the way you get your money is illegal or ill-gotten gain by sneaky behavior, by lying, bad business deals, that is sinful and that's wrong. Yes? Okay, so we've had this conversation around the dinner table, but I think At your house? At, at your house. Um, like, I got paid very well by a wealthy family for babysitting. Sure. Is that ill-gotten because no. of the table? No. Well, you... I'm curious because... Here's what I say to you, uh-huh. and here's what I would say to everybody. There's a certain amount of money you can make each year and not have it reportable. Once you break that line, everything is reportable. Every, and it's not like, oh, I don't have to report my first, whatever. I mean, it used to be like 900 bucks. Is it, you, you nodded your head just a minute ago, Joe. Do you know what the dollar amount is? I think it's like 2400 bucks it's, now. It's actually 600 yeah. Oh, it's only 600 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're supposed to fill out what's called, and your, your employer is supposed to give you what's called a 1099. Yeah. And you fill out your 1099, and then you, you're supposed to account for it, and then you pay wages. If you didn't pay taxes on it then... You're, you should pay it at the end of the year, and the IRS will say, thank you for letting us know that you made, you know, $2,000. You now owe us, you know, 600 bucks or whatever it is. So that's how it's supposed to work. So if your parents didn't tell you that, I'm telling you that. Oh, wait, I am your parent. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, okay, uh, James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and Howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
How's that, how's that sound for a prerequisite and having a little bit extra stuff in your, in your mint? Uh, yeah, that does not sound very good. Let me go on and qualify, because verse 4 qualifies that person. It says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, your qualifying the previous verse, or verses, your fields, which you have kept back by fraud. And the context of the Greek, that keeping back is never intended to pay the wages in the first place. So the man who was wealthy hired some laborers, never intended to pay them. But he told them, I'm going to pay you thus and so for the work that I'm asking you to do. But he never intended to do that. It's like a man who goes to have a contractor come to his house and do all this work in his house, and let's say the work is $30,000, but he only has $10,000, and it, when the work is all done, he says to the contractor, hey man, I only promised that I was going to pay you $10,000. The guy goes, no, you got the bill. You knew what the bill was with $30,000. Well, yeah, but I only agreed to have this work done, and you did all this extra work, and you didn't delineate that in the contract. They go to court, and what's in the contract is what stands. And so the man gets the $20,000 free labor, free work, free materials, because it wasn't delineated. And he was a letter of the law kind of guy, and the law goes by the letter of the law. And so it was, it was defrauding. He had said he was going to do a certain job for a certain amount, but he defrauded the man because he knew ahead of time that the contract wasn't complete, so he took what he could get for nothing. And so that's what this guy, he's saying, you withheld the wages, and the wages are now crying out to me. And this is what God says. He goes on to say this. He says, <clears throat> Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And they, the criers uh, of the reapers, the, excuse me, the cries of the reapers, have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Not Lord of Sabbath. I, I mentioned, how many were there on Sunday? You remember me saying that? It's not the Lord of the Sabbath, it's the Lord of the Sabaoth. The Sabaoth is a Hebrew term, Lord of Hosts, or the Captain of the Armies of Heaven. Jesus is the Commander in Chief, He is a warrior. And when there's defrauding that goes on, the cries of those who have been defrauded, whether words are ever spoken, the cries of the defrauder come to the ears of the, the captain of the host of heaven. And I can tell you, this guy, I never want to be on the other side of the armies of heaven. Ever. So, what, what, why am I referring to this? Because I want, I want to pick up on the word defraud. Anybody here know what it means to defraud, other than my family, any, anyone in my family? Anybody here know what it means to defraud someone? Okay, Bo, you want to share? Or do you, do you want me to share? I mean, I mean you, I, you can share. Okay. <laughs> uh, we hear the word fraud and defraud, and sometimes we don't ask the question, what does that mean? Because we can fraud someone and defraud someone outside of the arena of finances. Okay? Have you noticed 
in your Bible reading that sometimes the Bible talks about money a lot. Well, sometimes it always does. I mean, in fact, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the Synoptic Gospels, one out of every six verses is dealing with stewardship and money. Well, you ever wonder why? Well, certainly it's important. But let me ask you a question. What's one thing outside of maybe Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father that everyone in this room has in common? You pay taxes. <laughs> you pay like, unless you live in my house and then you're counsel. Oh, wait, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, is some, what is something that we all have in common? In fact, let me ask, let me, just, let me put it another way. What's one thing that everybody in this room has dealt with today without failure? Finance. You've been engaged in commerce today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you woke up to an alarm clock this morning? Raise your hand if you woke up to an alarm clock. Okay, so you used electricity, so you've been engaged in commerce. You with me? Okay. How many of you used your cell phone today? Raise your hand. You've been involved in commerce because you pay a cell phone bill, or your parents pay a cell phone bill. Uh, how many of you? Uh, how, how many of you used a toilet today? Come on, be honest. <laughs> Someone's like, "Yeah, I used the tree seven times." <laughs> no, okay, you used the toilet. You flushed the toilet, and <laughs> you flushed the toilet, and you probably washed your hands. <laughs> okay, so you used water, and water has to be paid for. So you've been engaged in commerce. How many of you were in a car today at some point in time? Whether you drove or didn't drive, if you were in the car, you were involved in commerce. It's common ground. It's common. And so Jesus and the Word of God deals with things that are at a common ground. Everybody gets it. And if everybody gets it and everybody does it, that things should move well. And so he deals with that which is most common to us. Here's something very interesting. Now, we have a, a person who's becoming a civil engineer in this room, but I'm just going to throw it out there. In the infrastructure of any city, and I, let's call it a suburb, so Clackamas, unincorporated Clackamas, where probably most of us live, Milwaukee, unincorporated Clackamas, where there's not a bunch of buildings and so forth. What do you think the most common infrastructure material in the suburb? Starbucks. <laughs> okay, someone said wood. Cement. Okay. Say it again. Asphalt. Asphalt. Who knows what asphalt is? <laughs> if you abbreviated it, it's a bad word. <laughs> uh, wait, say it again. It's a mixture of gravel. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it's the stuff we paved the streets with. It's a bunch of black gravel and tar that we compact and make our streets with. Asphalt, common ground. And it really is common ground because everybody gets to use it. Literally, common ground. How interesting. 
in the world what we consider to be the most precious of all precious things? What's the most precious element that we hold value to? Phosphorus. Phosphorus. Platinum. I think what you meant to say is crypto. Okay, crypto, I know. It's gold. Gold. Gold, the value of gold. Does anybody here know what uh, one ounce of gold, the value of one ounce of gold? One ounce of gold is, I believe right now, is about $1,200 to $2,000. Somewhere in that window. It's been as high as $3,000. It's been even more than that, actually. I think it's been like 3600 But one ounce of gold, that's valuable. In God's kingdom, gold is the asphalt. Boom. So what we consider precious is common ground. And so he deals with it in a very unique way. He talks to us about uh, finance. He talks to us about this. So... Defrauding, all that being said, defrauding. You can defraud someone outside of the realm of finance. It can be simply in stewardship. stewardship. So let me explain defrauding. Whenever you hear a word and you don't know what that word means, raise your hand and ask, what does that word mean? For the sake of being like everyone turn around and going, how can you not know what that word means? Just look at them and say, why don't you tell me? They'll go, I was glad you asked that question. Because <laughs> most people, if you ask the question, I mean, if you have the question, probably at least 10 other people in the room, if there's 10 people in the room, they probably have the same question. To defraud someone means I'm promising you something that I cannot legally deliver or illegally deliver. In other words, this guy, he says, you do this work, I'm going to pay you this wage. You do the work, and he says, not going to pay the wage. He promised you something that he had no intention of delivering. So he defrauded you. You had the expectation. Man, I'm getting paid 25 bucks an hour to do this. I'm done. Woo, sweat my brow. I worked eight hours digging that hole. Dude, you owe me 200 bones. The guy goes, sorry, sucker. Hit the road. You're like, I'm going to take you out. He goes, you in one army. You know, he pulls out his, you know, uh, M1 rifle or whatever it is. And you're like, yeah. oh, see you later. Thanks for letting me dig that hole for you. You know, and you walk away, you have no recourse. You have no recourse. And the guy totally defrauded you. And you were expecting the whole time you were digging, you are thinking, man, PlayStation 4. Yeah, I'm going to go buy it, man. And then you got nothing. So the feeling that you had on the inside, it produced something on the inside expectation. And then he lowers the boom. Nothing. You're like, what about that feeling? He's like, take your feelings and hit the road, Jack. So, we are told not to defraud our brother. Now, certainly in the area of finances, you say to someone, hey, can I get a ride? I'll help pay the gas. And you get there, and it took you four hours, and you know you, you dropped three-quarters of a tank of gas or whatever, and the person driving pulls up to the gas tank, and, or to the, ga- to the gas tank, oh, it's in the car. He pulls up to the gas station, and you know, it's three bucks a gallon. 
and they're going to have to put, you know, I don't know, 17 gallons in the car and do the math real quick. I mean, that's, you know, 51 bucks. And they look at you, and you're like, well, all I have is 71 cents here. They're like, uh, you said you were going to help pay the gas. Well, I am. Thanks for the ride. You, you created a certain sense of feeling like shared responsibility, and then you do something less. That's like defrauding someone. Hey, lunch on me, man. Oh, I didn't bring my wallet. You're like, oh, 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 okay. Guess I'll get this one. I'll get you next time. No intention to get next time. See how it's defrauding? You're producing an expectation with no intention to deliver. It's In a way, it's lying. Okay, so we're told not to defraud our brother. Now, I'm going to bring it to a different level, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, is it 830 now? Perfect. Okay. I'm going to close with this. I mentioned that my wife and I met at church, and we began a relationship. I just want you, as young adults, to know you can defraud one another in a physical relationship. Boyfriend, girlfriend, moving toward boyfriend, girlfriend, desiring something to be boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, boys can produce expectation in girls. Girls can produce expectation in boys. And uh, from the very way you dress to uh, how you act uh, to the words that you say, uh, we can be manipulative with our words, and that creates a defrauding scenario. Um, we're all adults here, right? Everyone's an adult here? Uh, I would say to every one of you, if you get into a relationship, um, you're in a relationship, uh, and I've talked to these two about it, uh, not these two, these two, uh, <laughs> but if you're in a relationship, you know, yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, and I, well, I don't care to be, you are too, okay. But, uh, so here's the thing feelings um, that, that God gave every one of us, men and women, a certain desire on the inside, okay? Uh, and those desires are not bad in themselves. In fact, they're quite good in their proper context. In fact, in its right context, it has a proper progression from kissing to hugging, or maybe hugging to kissing or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just went in for a kiss for a man. Kind of like, hey, that was good hugging. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, it builds expectation. Physiologically, both male and female begin to have stimulus in their bodies. Then, if bodies press against each other, 
the end of the eager expectation is intercourse. Are you with me on that? You all understand that. That's the design. God's design. But intercourse is only legal in a marriage. So anything that produces that sensual feeling that has its end in intercourse before it's legal to deliver is defrauded. And we're told not to do that. That's why the believer, I'll say this to all the men, Eyes of men, eyes of men, eyes of men, 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 men. Okay. Men, you are called as followers of Christ to be men. Men do not take advantage of women. That's right. We honor and we respect them. I say to guys now, don't take something that belongs to someone's future husband. Don't be taking that man's rightful place and legal place. Okay? Does that make sense? Gals, don't you either take something that belongs to one of these men or some other man's wife in the future. And you say, whoa, <coughs> wow, you know, that's heavy. The encouragement, guys, is to be noble, pure, and moral. So, Kim and I, I will tell you when we dated, we held hands. I'll tell you the first time we held hands, it was awesome. <laughs> I was so suave. <laughs> we still hold hands to this day. I'm the only boy she has ever kissed. I am the luckiest being on the planet of the earth. Planet of the earth. Earth. Earth too. Okay. Uh, I'm the luckiest dude. When a word comes out, or when a sentence comes out, it comes out wrong. It was supposed to be impactful. It was like, it came out wrong. It was like, <laughs> So let's read, let's read more. All right. I'm the luckiest dude on the planet Earth. Okay? And I'm, I'm like the only guy who's ever kissed her. That's so cool. I just want to tell you, be careful not to defraud one another. Because love supersedes defraud. And if you really love someone, then you can wait. You can wait. And he or she who waits will enter in someday when you stand at an altar before a guy like me. Do you? I do. Do you? I do. You may kiss your bride. You may kiss your you know, husband or whatever. Yes. It will be legal. And everything at that point becomes legal because the Bible says the marriage bed cannot be defiled. So, 
save yourselves and save yourselves a lot of grief. And you can be very good friends with people. Don't defraud people by your words. Don't manipulate people with your words because even manipulative words can be defrauding. Does that make sense? So be good stewards of your whole self, not just the commonality of your finance. Learn it in what's the most base thing and then apply it in every area of your life. Be a good steward. Conduct yourself. If you look at James chapter 3, listen to this. I'll close with this for the second time. Uh, I don't wear a watch, but you know what it means when a, when a pastor or minister preaching takes off his watch? Absolutely nothing. Okay, so uh, all that to say, uh, you read in James chapter 3, it says, <clears throat> Let not many of you be teaching, yada, yada. He says, For well, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, if anyone does not stumble in word, I just lost what he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Bridle the whole body. What's something that we have in common here? We all talk, and if we can bridle our tongue and hold our thoughts and our speech and so forth, the Bible says the guy who can do that is like a perfect man. He's able to bring his whole body into subjectivity. And that's what we're called to do bring our whole being into subjectivity to the Word of God. That would prevent us from defrauding, not only in relationship, not only in finance and stewardship, but in all areas of our life. Does that make sense? Awesome. Thanks for letting me be with you guys tonight. Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you. And uh, you guys wish me well on my date. Oh, I'm going to close the prayer. Matthew, I'm going to close you off the class. Uh, listen, let's pray, and I'll, I'll just do it this way, with eyes closed. Please have everybody, everybody close your eyes. 